So I think it's time to really discuss all the good that The Wages of Cinema does. <laughs> <laughs> you might call it a cleansing, if you will. It, it cleanses your soul and, you know, other body parts that we don't talk about. It purifies you. Oh, purifies. Yeah, it's purification ritual. It purges you, you uh, might say. No, you're giving the game away. That was the next part. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, There's well, no need for subtlety when talking about these films. Probably not. But anyway, welcome, everyone, to The Wages of Cinema. And uh, I am Jack, and as always with me. Trash Panda Corey. Yeah. I need a new nickname. I'm just boring-ass Jack. Maybe that'll be my nickname. You're not boring. You're the opposite of boring. We could call you Devastatingly Handsome Jack. No, it's too long. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But, yeah, and also we're recording for the first time on my new fancy-schmancy phone, so that's kind of neat. We're going to see how that goes. Um, But, yeah, we're here once again to kind of dive into a franchise uh, if you remember from uh about a year ago well not even a year ago like several months back we did an episode about the psycho movies and you know we like sometimes diving into how a, a sort of franchise works and some of its deeper deeper implications or how a movie series is or is decidedly not thinking about the issues it's raising and you know, we and I was thinking for a little while about the Purge movies, and specifically the fact that I this is a series of movies that I think, in a lot of ways, sort of typifies uh, the 2010s and how uh, we're probably going to look back on it years from now. How, in a way, it, it for better or worse, this shows what politics was for in a very very hit you over the head kind of way but with some truth sprinkled in there so is that why you wanted to watch these movies for this episode that and also just because i hadn't seen two of them (laughs) it gives like a good me a good excuse to you know watch more movies and watch them with you yeah this you before we watched all four of them for this podcast, you had seen the first movie and the fourth movie in the theater. Yeah, and of course, as um, a confusing as it can get, the first Purge movie is called just The Purge. And then the fourth movie is called The First Purge. Yes, for maximum confusion. Yeah. So for the sake of this episode, I might call just call the first Purge movie that is the first movie to be released in theaters. I might call that Purge uh, Purge Prime. <laughs> you could just call it Purge One. Yeah, Purge One. Thank you. Yeah, Purge One as opposed to Purge Four, the first Purge. <laughs> God, this is even more confusing than Rambo being the fourth <laughs> Rambo movie. Oh, wow. I've never heard of this series before. I wonder if there are any other movies. <laughs> Whereas um, I had actually seen all four of these babies in the theater. Yeah, yeah. And um, and for those who are, might still be wondering what we're talking about, uh, the Purge movies, um, so far there are four of them, and there's a fifth one due 
Actually, also this in twenty, July. yeah, in twenty twenty one, and maybe when we see that, we'll get we'll talk about that on its own episode. But for now, um, the Purge is a you know, series of movies from Blumhouse, uh, all and it's centered on this conceit that one day, not one day, one night of the year, all crime is legal. You can do practically anything you want, save, you know, killing certain politicians. Of course, there might there are even caveats to that, but we'll get to when that happens in a particular movie. Um, and each movie tries to approach this in its own uh, kind of exploitation-y B-movie sort of framework. Um, you know, in other words, you can watch these as genre movies, but, you know, they're saying something like they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, the director of these, a lot of these movies, uh, and a writer of all of them, James DeMonico, uh, he, you know, he has some thoughts about, you know, the system, man. And society, man. Yeah. And I, I just, I find these movies sort of fascinating, even though I'll say up front, I don't think any of them are, really all that great even though some of them are are obviously better than others um and eventually we'll get into our ranking i think for the purpose of this episode it would be good to kind of work you know starting from the first movie the last movie yeah let's go chronologically yeah and i think but also a good place to start when talking about the first movie um you know purge one is the concept itself this whole idea about how all crime is supposedly legal for one night or not all crime is not illegal. We could say that. Um, of course there are some exceptions that we'll get to, but again, the whole idea is predicated supposedly on, well, if you, if we have this purge, it's a purification. It's like everyone can get the thing out of their system. You know, if you've pent up all of your, come in your balls you know it's all the more satisfying when you finally let it out in like a giant stream <laughs> a giant stream of violence and mayhem <laughs> i don't know where it's going with that one thing i was thinking and i'd be interested in your opinion about this yeah i feel like purge one is fairly distinct from the other films yeah it, it is it absolutely is because the first purge purge one keep calling it first purge damn you james monaco um purge one is in essence well the thing that also it's important to note is with blumhouse um you know they get their whole thing is we're going to give you a certain amount of money we're going to give you like basically the budget of a bag of potato chips <laughs> and have fun with it do whatever you want you know make sure it, it's exciting make sure it's you know pr try to give some gore you are required to have a jump scare every 15 minutes or more. Um, but the problem is that it's a home invasion movie. And I feel like it's the concept isn't he, he, I feel like this filmmaker created it for the sake of, well, I want to make a home invasion movie. This seems like a good way to, you know, cloud it. And I don't think he really put that much thought into it past like the whole idea of, you know, Ethan Hawke plays this security guy. He wants to keep his family safe. And 
un dun 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 he can't yeah i should say if you're going to get any enjoyment out of any of these movies you have to accept the fact that they're all dumb they're all real dumb and the premise is real dumb the, but it's, one it's... of the reasons why <laughs> i said that Purge 1 feels distinct from the other ones, is that Purge 1 advances this idea that making all crime legal for 12 hours has a beneficial effect on the crime rate for the rest of the year. Yeah, and, and it's it's so asinine. Like, you know, and, and I think ultimately you could say, well... Maybe the filmmakers know this, and that's part of the point that, like, you know, there's no way it could work. It's really about class warfare. But, but I feel like the move, but the movie, at least even the first one, it does want us to think that this does have some type of semblance of legitimacy in this, in this world. Yeah. Or, or at least the characters have deluded themselves that. And again, these are our main characters. These are this family with, Ethan Hawke and uh, Lena Headey is the mother, and you have you know the two kids who are kind of shitheads, uh, varying degrees. Like they, yeah, we're supposed to follow that, and you can't really expect us to think like that's how it works in real in the real world. That everyone will just get out of their system, and then what? Like the other three hundred sixty four days a year, like people aren't killing other people people aren't committing like all kinds of crime especially if you have tv networks that are broadcasting the crime happening well even later purge movies undermine the idea that the purge works and that the purge actually has a beneficial well, social purpose yeah yeah and that's well let me ask you this question do you think the filmmaker the filmmakers here in the series in general, or we could talk about the first one or I don't know what, but that they're aware that the whole, that the concept is extremely flimsy and it's really more about like, you know, white, white, you know, white nationalist society, you know, trying to make the, the chickens come home to roost against black people, because I'm not sure like I sometimes can't tell if these movies want us to believe that like no like you know the purge really does work it's just you know we got to make it really crazy and you know have lots of people in these masks and doing all kinds of violence or like in its head it do, do they is it really trying to say something deeper or is it just a cover to have lots of like gnarly violence and horror well again this is where i would say Purge 1, I would consider different from the other three. I think Purge 1, which is by far my least favorite. Yeah. And you're the same way, right? Yeah, I think that, well, the problem in the first one is that it's just, when you strip aside the concept, it's just a, a, a kind of boilerplate home invasion movie that's punctuated by, you know, a couple of, you know, interesting performances. Well, I say interesting. There's and, like one interesting well, performance. Well, yeah. Well, the thing, well, in, in the first, in, in Purge 1, 
you have again that Ethan Hawke is the security guy who has created this f- super effective security system, and it works. You know, as he eventually says, ninety nine percent of the time. Of course, it's not completely foolproof. And you know, as it's ha- you know that night, you know they're in a pretty well off neighborhood, but there's a black guy being you know trying to run away from this, you know unruly mob of fucking crazy uh, fin- like rich fanatics and you know one, the the Ethan Hawke's son is like seeing his son Camry he's like I can't let him just be out there I have to let him in which is r- s- stupid shit number one like at the top of the heap letting yeah. this guy in like letting this guy who's clearly gonna bring nothing but ruin to your and family why would Ethan Hawk give his dumbass son the security code yeah but to answer your question I don't think movie one purge one has anything to say oh. I think it is a generic boring unimpressive home invasion movie that just has the purge as a flimsy premise. Yeah. I think the other movies, two, three, and four, are a lot more oh. ambitious and do have a lot more on mm-hmm. their mind, but I'm not saying their political commentary is <laughs> smart or sophisticated or nuanced. No, no. But I do think movies two, three, and four think they're saying something. And they are communicating a message. No, they absolutely are. Uh, and again, I w- I'll get into two and three and four because I think they're in their their own kind of class. I wanted to mention though, really quick though, I was about to say though, again, all the, the acting in the in the first move in in Purge One is not very impressive, except for the guy who's leading the the band of uh, you know the, these you know Purge uh, fanatics. And that's like this guy named Reese Wakefield is the actor. He his he doesn't even have a character in the cast list. He's listed as polite leader. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I know if you polite saw that leader. <laughs> yeah, he's the one that if you see like the trailer, he's the one that looks like uh, Patrick Bateman's uh, like deformed child or something. <laughs> um, and he's having a ball. Like he's eating this role for lunch he's just a very like he's like a joker minion that's a way to describe him and i think that he points to the potential in these movies that sometimes gets realized but oftentimes kind of doesn't and i wish it did more because ultimately what you're dealing with when you have this concept it it's speaking about Sort it's trying to say something about what's happening now. Again, economic inequality, racial discord, you know, like all, all this all the divisiveness in our country. But ultimately, it's still a kind of dystopian, not quite post-apocalypse, but like teetering on the brink type of uh like world, almost like in like the handmaid's tale. Like the world, like right before Gilead gets, you know, developed or something. And I think that when you have that kind of framework, you just got to go more over the top, the better. You just got to embrace how crazy, like, 
the people in this world get. And the problem is you have boring ass Ethan Hawke and Lena Headey trying to make this feel more like a real movie when it shouldn't try to go for that at all. Yeah, they're boring. Their kids are generically irritating. I would say the only kind of seeds of the later movie Mm -hmm. I see in this first one are the Reese Wakefield performance, as you mentioned. And we will see other antagonists in his mold in later films. mm -hmm. And the idea that Ethan Hawke is kind of a war profiteer almost. Yeah, yeah, he is. he built his fortune selling purge security systems, and then we find out they're not even that good. Yeah, yeah, they're not that good. They have, like, the, you know, the veneer of safety and security, the illusion. And that's an interesting concept, but it's just, again, the movie doesn't... It starts... You think it might explore that, but then it's just... Here's a jump scare. Here's like, we're going to fall around like the kids, like robot or something in the night. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like that was really lame. And it, it's, it's just like, you got to give me a little bit more than that to chew on movie. You just got to, I mean, I, you know, like the, the line that he ha- he actually has a line, like things like this are not supposed to happen. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> It's like full of like, you know, it's a movie where you have kind of like movie reasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can it's like a, a lot of moments and the, the other movies have this sometimes problem too, but the first one especially it's like you can't kill this person because movie reason. Oh, there that's the other problem is because this movie has a much smaller cast than any of the other movies. Yes. Your body count is depressingly low. Yeah. So when we were watching this movie, I turned to you and I said, this movie's such a basic bitch. <laughs> and that's how I feel about it. Like, all of these movies are dumb, but Purge 1, I found more boring dumb than, like, fun dumb. Yeah, yeah. And I actually said this in my review on Letterbox. like, a more interesting movie for me would be like a movie set a week later when you got to make small talk with <laughs> the people after purge night, you know, like, so that was crazy a week ago, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, my dog was set on fire. How about you? Oh, you know, I lost my house and my car, but Hey, purge insurance. Well, I always said to you, <laughs> I want to make, I want to see a purge movie. That's kind of like the big short. Where you focus uh, on all the white collar crime that would happen on Purge Night? Because just imagine the level of manipulation of the stock market. Yeah. If all kinds of financial crimes were legal, just think about <laughs> how, it. How does Jordan Belfort work on <laughs> Purge Night? You know, it's like this is what he was doing when, you know, he couldn't get away with it. You know, imagine like, you know, think about all like the people's like stealing boats and like yachts, I mean, nobody would have a yacht anymore. You know, what would Betsy DeVos do? <laughs> like, but that's the thing with these movies. It's that like you have like just a wealth of possibilities with this concept. I mean, you're trying to present to us the idea that all crime 
except you know, yeah, you can't you can't kill like certain like politicians. Like there's like a class yeah. level of people who can't be killed. But it it raises so many questions about just the nature of crime itself. You know, how would you know, would would you be you know, if I have students in my college uh where you know, where I teach where a lot of them are going for you know, they're trying to learn about criminal justice. Yeah. How do you do criminal justice in a world with the purge? Well, this none of these movies have any understanding of criminology and why people commit crime. So yeah. this idea, but one of the many, many reasons why I think Purge One feels distinct is Purge One presents a world where the purge is kind of working. Whereas I feel like every other Purge movie undermines that concept. It, well, it's not even so much, I guess, yeah, it does present that it's working, but it's really more so, It again, it almost doesn't even bother with it. Like, it has that in the background, and you know you have the ticking clock and that by the end the Purge night will be over. But it's almost, again, it's almost more an excuse to just have this kind of horror movie concept, as you said, kind of a basic bitch where James DeMonico kind of wants to get his straw dogs on, you know, if, again, if you want more, a movie that's this, but much better, just watch straw dogs, Excellent, compared. which is actually a movie that really wrestles with the, the, the consequences of the people inside dealing with the people on the outside. That just popped in my head as like a movie that's, like Straw Dogs is like a much better Purge movie than Purge One, <laughs> you know. That guy doesn't even have the security system in that. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman's just like, you know, using all his little Jewish energy to <laughs> fight. Um, you want to move on to the second movie? Yeah, because I think I've exhausted pretty much everything about Purge One. Purge Two. So again, now we get into the movies that I hadn't seen before. Again, I had seen the first one in the theater, wasn't impressed. Second movie came around, and I was like, eh, no, I, I think this whole thing is so dumb. And I skipped it. Starting, and ultimately, the title itself might be one of the dumbest things about it. Yeah. If you think, because ultimately, you have that title, but the, 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 the thing in these movies, it's not really anarchy. It's more like, the Purge elite death squads. Yeah, like, the Purge is the exact opposite of anarchy. The Purge... It's government sanctioned. Exactly. is highly organized, highly bureaucratized, and it's the absolute opposite of anarchy. So the fact that they called this the Purge Anarchy is really an emblem of how they don't really think any of this through. <laughs> but... Yeah, because, like, that's the whole, like, the concept of anarchy, yeah, is that you have just chaos, like, without any order. But this whole night is about order because it's structured around how, like, you can do anything you want. Like, that, but that's not really anarchy. You're not pushing against the system. You're doing what the system allows you to do. Exactly. And while I don't want to overstate it, this, it should be called the purge recess. 
Let's go play kickball with this guy's head. Yeah, I don't want to overstate what I'm about to say, because it's not like this is some great movie or anything, but I do think this is a big improvement over the first, over Purge it, 1. It's an improvement-ish. I, I, I don't think it's all that great. Like, it has other issues like for those, and for the, if you want, need a quick, very quick rundown about part two. Um, this is almost like a, it really should be called The Purge, The Punisher. Yeah. Because <laughs> you have Frank Grillo, who is kind of like a, was he, was he an ex army guy? Probably. I'm trying to remember now. Oh, my God, I can't remember. <laughs> Probably. But anyway, he had the type of thing where, some guy killed his daughter. He's out for revenge, and because it's purge night, he's going after the guy who killed his daughter and family and all that. And you know, and I will say, and and so it's it follows him as he kind of runs into these other people who just you know happen to still be out and about on, as the purge is going to be going down um, in this inner city, and. You know, and you're following them over overnight, and I, I think again now, yeah. What's nice about this movie, you're you're finally you're opening up the scope. You're now like in a city as they're trying to get from this point to that point. Um, you know, another comparison you could make is like Escape from New York. You know, following these characters all through one night as you know anti-hero man is is getting you across the city um of course kurt russell's a bit cooler than frank grillo but he I, what i like too is that he has some presence you know he fits this role pretty well and it and it, it there is there is really there is some really good action and you know some you know some really good gore and violence i'm sorry i don't know if you were going to say something next. oh i was going to say that yeah, this movie is more ambitious, it is a larger cast, it is more set pieces, it has a higher body count, and yeah. starting in this movie, we see an expansion of Purge world building. And it's not necessarily smarter, but there oh, is God, no. just, there's more effort put into it. So, it's not that it's smart, because it's yeah. not, like, it's still dumb, but it's a more, like... <laughs> complex effortful it, it, kind of it, dumb it's it's like when one of my students I, I give one of my students back a draft of a paper they gave me and i say this doesn't have enough examples to support your thesis and they return with like one and a half examples well, perfect <laughs> and it's like well you did what i asked you for you could have given me more but fine yes that is actually a great example like purge one doesn't give us examples beyond this one family of how this would work, mm -hmm. whereas Purge 2 starts showing us how a broader segment of the population um, yeah. would process this. Also, the second movie introduces a theme that's going to be present in 2, 3, and 4, which is that the new founding fathers of America, the political party that introduced the purge, they are not disinterested observers, but rather they are proactively using the purge as a pretext to murder 
who they think to be undesirable, mainly poor people and racial minority groups. Yeah, yeah. And that's like that's where you get into, you know, that's a that's a really good idea to to wrestle with that you're you're basically taking what does by and large happen in America, which is, you know, you know, white people keep getting richer, keep getting away with their white collar crimes, you know, uh, black and brown people are constantly, you know, you know, killed and, you know, you know, put down by the authorities. And, and so that's very bluntly pressed in this movie and also in the other ones. Um, and that's fine. Um, where I have, I, where I wish, I think watching this movie, my issue was, I just wish it had better characters. Yes. And I wish it had a little bit better action. Like my, my thought watching this was, was thinking about other filmmakers and, you know, and James DeMarco, you know, is competent, but he just doesn't have the kind of vision that I could see someone taking this idea. Like, and my big thing was thinking about James Cameron. And what he could do, what he what he showed in his prime years, you know, it like what he could do with this or Paul Verhoeven. If you had like RoboCop, Paul Verhoeven on this material, it would be great. And instead, there is, you know, it moves quickly. It, it has a good pace. It's just that I just don't, you know, the characters are very are still kind of, you know, basic Except for Frank Grillo, I don't really feel for any of these guys. You know, like, like I think two of the people, they're just happen to like have their car break down. And well, actually, what ha- their car gets sabotaged pre purge. Oh, I forgot about that. So, yeah, they're some of these guys who want to purge mm-hmm. sabotage their car when it's in the parking lot of, I don't know, like a grocery store. Yeah. But this generic like breaking up married couple are like mayonnaise central. Yeah. Yeah. They're mayonnaise central, but the, and that's, but I feel like I, this move, this, this concept of, you know, following these people on one purge night, it really calls for having like just better actors and writing. And I know that sounds like a very basic criticism, but that was just what I kept seeing with this particular entry um, where it again, you know, points for effort, and there there are some definite and like it, it ends up in a very it has some really good violent moments. Oh, and I should also mention, um, Michael K. Williams has like kind of a fun supporting role, which you almost think is a cameo, but just stick with the movie. And um, I, but I, but he's an example of what I kind of wanted more of. I wanted, actually wanted characters just very blatantly stating the messages, you know, in gigantic, like, broad paint. I agree completely. Subtlety has no place in the Purge universe. Give me big personalities, big, big set pieces, big death scenes. Give me more. So I agree with you that this movie could have had better characters bigger characters yeah, like like think about like the james cameron of aliens doing like a purge movie it would be like 
so phenomenal or even like uh or even like Catherine bigelow like imagine if like pete characters from like i don't know uh like point break i didn't think of that i thought i actually this might sound weird i thought james gunn would make a really good purge movie hmm not bad I mean, well, hopefully it'd be better, better than the Belco experiment. I like the Belco I know. Experiment. We don't agree with that. I'm I know. the one. I am literally the one person I'm on the not, planet Earth. I'm not a I big like fan. the Belco experiment. I have actually watched it more than once. I'm the one. So. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, I respect your love for that movie, but uh, Mayhem is better. Uh, oh, Mayhem <laughs> is definitely better. And actually. I'm a little bummed out that, like, the ending of the Belco experiment, like, set up a sequel that I don't yeah. think is going to happen because I am literally the only person <laughs> who liked that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, again, it has some really cool, uh, you know, it also gets into the whole concept that you kind of, you, you saw hinted at in, in Purge 1 where the whole idea that people are putting on these really crazy comic book masks yeah. And using that as their cover, like even though, and that's an interesting idea too, that even though it's purge night, people aren't just going out there in their regular faces. And maybe part of that's because they know like, well, the next day I have to, you're going to be seeing me and I have to cover it up. Um, you have to wonder the, like the people who were at the riot on January 6th. They were not watching the purge movies. No. Can you like <laughs> They were proud. No yeah. For them. But you, but that's something I wonder about though if in real life I bet most people I bet I bet these fucking psychos wouldn't be wearing masks. I bet they would be just be proud to be out there and maybe you would get like one like purge shaman <laughs> the way you have the QAnon shaman. Um, so, but I don't know what else to say about anarchy. Oh, uh, it was fun seeing Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, Lakeith Stanfield has a small role in this, and it was totally shocking to me. I Obviously, when I saw this movie in the theater, I don't think I know who he was, so I didn't recognize him. But it's wild when you see a movie for the first time in a long time, and you see someone who's a big star now in like a mm -hmm. little role at the beginning of their career. But yeah, I would say the a lot of the characters are still substandard, but Yeah. And again, but I will say as I said earlier, like Frank Grillo is a he's a pretty decent action lead and he towards the end I even thought brought a little bit of pathos. Not a lot, but a little as far as what the script will allow him. You know, uh, so again, if you're watching the you know these movies, this one not bad. It's you not can, great, but it's not bad. Really it's in just, the middle. Yeah, you can really just skip to two, though. Like, you really don't need to watch Purge 1. Yeah, unless if you're a completist and, you know, you, you want to see Ethan Hawke, you know, trying to make his, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know what you'd call it, like his back-end uh, bank uh, spring up. <laughs> um, but okay. we want to move on now to what may be the best of these movies. My favorite. Yeah, well, best is relative, but um, the third movie is called The Purge Election Year, and uh, at least they kept the title 
pretty consistent. Oh, can I tell the people about the totally ridiculous time jump that is not justified <sighs> at all? I well, the that's but the we yeah, you can yeah, we should mention that like that it's really confusing at the start of this movie because again, it's it's worth restating these movies are supposed to take place in not just an alternate reality, but like in like a kind of very close future. And I, in, in purge one. Okay, so that, that comes out in 2013. That's set. What did 20? Okay. So purge one is set in 2022. Okay. And in 2022, we are told it's the fifth annual purge. So the purge begins in 2017 in Pur- in the Purge Anarchy, it's one year after Purge 1. So Purge right. Anarchy is in 2023. But then pur- the Purge the- election year is set no. in 2040. No, but here's the thing that makes me confused, though. I thought that – I thought, though, I've read, I've read misleading, like, confusing things because I've read – elsewhere that it's supposed to be two years into the future do you think that maybe they were confused themselves yes <laughs> yes or they literally just didn't give a fuck well I, but it would make more sense if it's two years into the future because then like well at least for the frank grillo character it makes more sense that he's somehow kind of come out from his you know well of revenge mania and um and and made something of himself like but yeah like it, but it doesn't make sense because well we didn't even tell say like why this is so confounding because okay. it involves like kind of one of the main characters in the movie all right so the confusion comes from if you read the letterboxed like plot summary of this it will say it takes place two years after purge anarchy yeah but the problem is the purge election year opens with the elizabeth mitchell character she's the kind of co-lead of the movie with frank grillo yeah and she she plays senator charlie roan and the thing is she's i assume she's like in her 40s in the movie right or at least 40 and I, at the, I'll give her she could even be in like maybe her late 30s but I but that's but pushing it. The movie starts when she's a teenager and her family is murdered in a purge. Yeah, that's the very first scene of the movie you're seeing like yeah, she, yeah, it's a like a torture scene put to music cues of course. Ironic music cues. Yeah, I well that was I guess fine. It was what it was. So purge election year has to be way in the future because our protagonist who was, I just looked it up and they don't tell us specifically the character's age, but Elizabeth Mitchell was 45 when she shot this movie. And so this character so, like her family was murdered in her teens and she's now in her 40s but i gotta love how frank grillo hasn't aged a day in the apparently 17 years the whole thing could have been solved a couple different ways like just have it that she you know it wasn't that she her family wasn't tortured and killed on a purge night they were just 
you know, tortured and killed in front of her. And that violence is what motivates her. But like, you could have done that. Like maybe that happened years before the purge, but the purge itself brings up a lot of these really traumatic, negative emotions that she then wants to bring into policy by, you know, ending the purge. Like that's what she's running on. But they don't do that. They they state pretty clearly this happens on purge night. And so, or the other thing they could have done was just make Elizabeth Mitchell the character in the, like, her, make that act, make her be just like a couple years younger. Put her in that scene. Maybe her family is killed. Yeah, see, I still think it's important for her character's motivations. God, I can't believe I'm saying it, that about a movie. Hey, like that. look, it's it's an ex, it's this kind of movie. Fine. I I do think it's important that her her family's killed on Purge Night, but <laughs> why did she have to be a teenager? Um, newsflash. It's still traumatic if your entire family's murdered on Purge Night if you're an adult. Why couldn't she be like a 38-year-old woman who was traumatized by the murder of her family on Purge Night. Yeah. Like, we're in our 30s. If my parents were murdered, I would find it upsetting and traumatic. Yeah, that's, like... that's what makes it really confusing. Like, and also then you have to think then, if by, by the way that they're saying this up, if it's supposed to be around 2040, so now the Purge has been going on for so very long, like... A whole generation has grown up with The Purge. And that's an interesting idea that you could wrestle with, but I don't feel like this movie necessarily wants to tackle that. No. It it really more so just wants to... I'm not going to say it repeats anarchy, but it does in a way have like kind of a similar structure where Frank Grillo is going to have to jump into action because, oh my God, surprise, surprise, like kind of like a White House Down scenario... There's been a mole inside Elizabeth Mitchell's, like, you know, inner circle. And so, you know, hell's going to be raining down on Purge Night, even though it's supposed to be secure. Um, and so they he has to get her across the city. Um, oh, but, her character is such a dum-dum throughout the oh, entire Oh, my film. God. And we can, so yeah, dumb. we can get into that. But once you, if you can put aside the fact that the timeline makes a lick of sense. It's a really fun exploitation movie. Yeah. It, it's got just, it, it's, it's got a really fun Mike, Michael T. Williamson performance um, where he has some really choice lines. I had to actually write one down at one point. Um, now where's my waffles and pussy. I think yeah. that was his line at one point. And Betty Gabriel, who was the maid in Get Out, is in this too, um, in a yes. very different, very awesome performance. Oh, there was another line. Uh, Good night, blue cheese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, and also just, it, it yeah, they're having fun. Um, there's like the, the, the sort of like tangential but important purge, like, violence reaping characters. I don't know what you'd call them. The purgettes. <laughs> I love the purgettes. <laughs> yeah. We'll call them the purgettes. Like, cause there are these like crazy ass chicks who are like, you know, wearing like their masks and being like just total trash in the streets. And the way that it's shot, it's just like 
a dirty music video where you expect Jared Leto's Joker <laughs> from the purple Lamborghini music video to pop up. Oh my God. If you guys haven't seen that, just stop listening to this. Check out purple Lamborghini. It feels like the purge is happening before your eyes. But yeah, these murderous teenage girls want their candy bars. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. They're, they're just, uh, just insane, like crazy people. And and yet that's a that's one of the things that made me think, oh, maybe this movie will show that like somebody like these these two girls are the kind of people who have just grown up always knowing the purge year after year. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it's just in them to to do this this night. Um, And, you know, there are just some there are just a lot of really fun, violent set pieces throughout throughout this movie. Um you know, it's like I said in my review, this is like the cinematic equivalent of downing a monster energy drink or like 12 of them. And it is still stupid. It's stupid. It's dumb. You know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And the whole, you know, we talked about the timeline thing and all that. Um, but it's I just like that how hyper stylized it is. I feel like it fits this mold and it's not trying it, it, you know, even though it has a, a couple of annoying characters and we talked about, you know, Elizabeth Mitchell has some really dumb moments. Like I, I don't think it overpowers it. And it's also really funny. Yeah. This movie, it's just fun. And what I like too is by the time we get to the third movie in this franchise, mm-hmm. I think the director has realized what the audience wants is increasingly bizarre and convoluted murder rituals yeah yeah ri- yeah murder rituals down to you know what the nffa is doing on yeah. on this purge night and, and i forget if it, it's also an anarchy where they have the whole idea where they're really rounding up people that like rich people are paying for so that they can watch them be Torture and killed. Was that an anarchy or is well, that election year? In the purge anarchy, we find out that one of the characters sells themselves to a rich family to murder. Because mm-hmm. in the purge anarchy, we find out that rich people like to get their murder victims delivered to them, you know, like DoorDash style. So they don't <laughs> risk leaving their heavily fortified homes. Yes. So we see, we learn that in the purge anarchy, but then in the purge election year, we see a highly complex religious murder ritual enacted by like members of the new founding fathers. And by the purge election year, the franchise is really doubled down on its theme that the purge is a pretext for rich white people to murder anyone that they find undesirable yeah yeah okay so i think you summed that up like pretty succinctly (laughs) you know i'm i should i I won't like double your purge insurance over that one (laughs) yes i love the subplot about the purge insurance yeah and what's amazing is i wanted to double check just to make sure if this would really be the case and so friend of the show mom hi hope you're listening uh you know, she kind of let me know that, yeah, not only would purge insurance be a thing, you know, you a lot of people, including us, have kind of a form of purge insurance right now. I mean, 
if you have someone, if, if you get vandalized, you know, if you have tenants insurance, you have that, you, you can get that coverage. But of course, a lot of times, sometimes insurance companies will either take away certain coverage or really spike it depending on circumstances. So, you know, or for example, with like the pandemic, a lot of businesses didn't have like coverage for like events involving like a mass, uh, you know, type of plague sickness type of thing. And so the idea that he gets his rates jacked up, but what's, what I find funny was just that moment where he, it happens. It just seemed a little like, like a comical movie moment to me. Yeah. He's like, Oh, bye. Oh, damn. They just raised my purge insurance by thousands of dollars. And it's just a very much like, I have we have to telegraph this information yeah. somehow to the Again, audience. This all of the purge movies have like really clunky expository dialogue. Oh yeah, we should have mentioned that. And oh my god. That's in every ver- one of them. Yeah, yeah. Very, very clunky. Um that's why again, that's why I thought that like this movie could like don't just no disrespect James DeMonaco. At least could benefit from a writer. <laughs> Would you say that these are, you know, that Michael Bay is the producer on these. Would you say that this is like the best thing that you've seen from Michael Bay? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I said, I don't want to overstate the Purge movies. I don't really love any of them. I just like two, three, and four, but they're so much better than any of the other hot garbage I've seen associated with Michael Bay. And. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, with election year, by the way, we should mention too again, Frank Grillo, he's still, you know, really doing well with, with in this part. Although I feel like there's also, I think I add this to my Instagram stories. There's a part of this movie where he's just, he's shot and doesn't really have any reaction to it <laughs> until like scenes later. He's in like the back of this truck. He's like, wait a moment. And he then finally expects like his wound. It's so funny. He's shot and he doesn't face him at all. And then 20 minutes later, when it's convenient for the plot, he literally like stares at his own shoulder. This is kind of, I don't think anyone will know this reference. This is kind of inside like baseball. Like that's like a moment out of the penetrator. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But one, one thing, um, I like about this movie, and the reason why it's my favorite of the four, although my second favorite is very close to it, yeah. is that this is going to sound like a weird comparison. Let me go with it. As the John Wick series gets like increasingly like creative and convoluted in its world building, mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of the same trajectory the Purge movies are going through, even yeah. though... The John Wick movies are better than the Purge movies. I'm not saying they're of equivalent quality. But the reason why John Wick 3 is by far my favorite of the three John Wick movies is John Wick 3 is where I feel like everyone fully committed to. Yeah, that's what yeah, that's a great way to put it. This 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 movie the filmmakers here and the actors are fully committed. And even when it's even though this is a lot more nonsense than John Wick 3, you can feel like they wanted to put the most into like the stunts and the vi- and the action and and also just how all the personalities and all the side characters are 
I said I made the comparison. They're like escapees from Arkham Asylum and Gotham. <laughs> like this movie is like in a way a lot like an ep- like a long episode of Gotham when it was at like its craziest and most entertaining. <laughs> where like Frank Grillo is kind of like the Jim Gordon character is just like I'm gonna make sure I stop <laughs> these people and do what I have to do, and you know everyone else is just being totally just bonkers and looney tunes and you know you feel like there's no oh there's no top that this can that this what am i trying to say you can't go over the top enough yeah that's how i feel and i think the key difference between the purge election year and the purge anarchy is the purge anarchy still has like a bunch of Mm -hmm. like boring and bland characters yeah whereas the purge election year makes the characters like bigger and more cartoony which Mm -hmm. is an excellent choice it is one little issue that i brought up and i don't know if you still feel similarly at all which it as much fun as it's having with the concept and again it gets very violent in particular you know, a big sort of climax involving like the, all these new founding fathers meeting to have like a big ritual, um, that go, you know, then gets kind of blown up. Um, the politics, maybe they could have picked more sides, like more firm sides. Yeah. Well, I remember you told me you wish that they used our actual political parties. Yeah. Well, it's like Elizabeth Mitchell, like, I guess she's an independent maybe like, what is she democrat i guess we're supposed to lead and believe that she is but then no that, she's third party yeah so but like that that kind of makes it so that you aren't really that softens the blow as far as this feeling a little bit more thorny like who's taking the sides here that's a good point yeah it softens the satire a little bit because nobody involved is affiliated with our political parties. The new founding fathers are their own thing. She's independent and third party. And let me say, in the entire Purge universe, that's the silliest thing in the whole franchise. <laughs> that a third party candidate wins. And also that the general election does not take place in November. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's almost like a minor spoiler, maybe. Well, not really. That comes towards the very end. Of, that might be the very end of the movie. Yeah. Like, this elect, the, the purge we find out, um, it, it's, it, it takes place, um, like, in, in sort of like the spring equinox time. It's either, yeah. like, March 20th or the 21st. It's one of those days. Yeah, the purge date is, I think, March 22nd. Yeah, which I, I think maybe that was... You could say if you were trying to dig deeper into the mythology or thought process that, like, maybe the new founding fa- new founding fathers thought that, well, that would be a good time of the year because, you know, if you were doing it like in the winter, too many people might be snowbound, <laughs> and people aren't going to want to be like committing too many crimes like in the middle of August where like everything's like 95 degrees you know this is like ideal this is like the ideal forecast (laughs) for setting people on fire and having like sex in the streets um but uh yeah but then yeah you find out then the election is like three months later what how does that work how is the election day like in the middle of May 
Yeah, it's so weird what you will and will not accept in a franchise like this. Yeah. That, that really bothered me that the election was not in November. <coughs> well, but, but because this movie wants to kind of feign in some way that it's kind of in our world or it's recognizable in our world. Mm. And you still got to have some things that feel like realistic. And as you said, it's in the Constitution. It's not in the Constitution. I was wrong about that. But it's well close enough. It was a rule passed by Congress in 1792. Like I said, close enough. Yeah, that's like constitution adjacent. That's like that's like the Constitution's RA <laughs> in a dorm. Um, but yeah, so you know, it's a it's a really it's a fun movie. Would I say it's like you know a great like dystopian satire movie? No. It's still pretty dumb. It still has like some holes in logic. Um but if you this is like the closest to when you hear like a hacky critic say just turn off your brain and watch <laughs> this movie. I could say you can do that even though there might be times where the movie is almost kind of working against that because you do have to think about things and that's where you kind of get into trouble. But again, you want to see Frank Grillo shoot lots of people and Elizabeth Mitchell kind of come in every once in a while and give some, oh God, you know what? I, that makes me think one more thing as a side note. Do you think like some of the women characters in these movies, no, but like maybe the white women are kind of given the short shrift. <laughs> you think about it, Lena Headey, Elizabeth Mitchell, we're going to get to talking about Marissa Tomei in a moment in the oh, first God. purge. Well, what is it with like James DeMonico and white women? <laughs> Where are the white women at? <laughs> I don't even want to begin to psychoanalyze this. But I will say that Elizabeth Mitchell's character is very dumb, but her glasses are very big <coughs> to counteract how dumb she is. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it. see, that would be a great thing if you get one of these action heroes. Like, imagine if Frank Grillo wore glasses, but then again, he might be too smart. <laughs> that would communicate to the audience. He has, like, book learning. <laughs> All right, but this brings us now to the fourth movie, which is called The First Purge. Yeah, everybody got that? Yeah, so do you <laughs> want to just call it Purge 4? I think that would be a way of, of making it easier. Yeah, um, as the tile suggests, this is a prequel. Um, you know, a good way to kind of counteract the convoluted timeline <laughs> of the third movie where Doctor Who wouldn't be able to solve that one. <laughs> we get, yeah, in the fourth purge, this goes back to how this whole thing began. And and, and the whole idea here is to show that, um, you know, science, you know, uh, uh, Marissa Tomei is a scientist. She, I believe, gets funding from the NFFA. Yeah, so basically the new founding fathers recruit her to add scientific legitimacy to their plan to implement the purge. And the first purge is not implemented in the entire United States, but it's implemented only on Staten Island. Yes, yeah, and that's that's the idea. For one night only, any crime is legal in Staten Island. And uh and but really in like in other purge movies, you know, this unlike uh, not counting the purge one I got that right this time. Yay, me. Um, unlike Purge 1, you are bouncing around like different characters. And in this case, um, 
Oh, I want to, I don't want to mispronounce the actor's name. I think it's Yan Noll. I, I hope I didn't get that right. Yolan Noll. Yolan. Yolan, maybe. I hope I didn't mispronounce your name, Yolan. You were you were quite good. We in really Insecure. like you in both this movie and Insecure. Yeah, and I don't remember him in Slice. <laughs> Neither do, I. do you remember Slice? <laughs> we watched that. But anyway, he and so the, it kind of bounces between what's going on in the control room with Marissa Tomei and douchey NFFA guy who, surprise, surprise, you know, is making it political all along. Oh man, and we've got to say in. And, and and the other and also the the people in this like project in Staten Island. That's why I wanted to finish oh, yeah. the sentence. I just got to say that in a franchise full of clunky expository dialogue, Marissa Tomei <sighs> has horrendous dialogue, and I don't even think her delivery of the horrendous dialogue is particularly good. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like necessarily. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, she, she's an Oscar-winning actor, but you can only do so much when, you know, this director, his name's Gerard McMurray. I, I don't think he's not necessarily done a lot of stuff that really screams, like, I'm going to get, like, a great performance out of you. I think he was really there to make sure that, you know, this budget, which it looks like this had maybe a tiny bit more budget than some of the other ones, or maybe on par with the third one. Um, you know that the the trains keep moving on time, um, and um, so so yeah, it's it's what what I like in this movie is though the idea that um, the the this it's almost like the, the way that it's set up. This was the the origin story is that this was like a like a like the Stanford Prison Experiment, mm -hmm. but how it was re how it really went down, <laughs> where. You know, people are getting paid to, you know, buy this uh, organization to, you know, stir up the shit on Purge Night. And, it, you know, it, it, it almost like you, you get financially compensated thousands of dollars, A, if you're, like, recording this part. And or they split up. Some people, they just got to be there and record. Other people are encouraged to become violent. And that sets up an interesting idea of like, oh, okay. So this whole thing was, you know, uh, just meant to be about like an e experiment in behavior. But of course the, the ultimate reality is, oh, they're, they're not really up in the, the, the kills. We better bring in the death squad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we know from the very first, Purge in 2017, and that's what year Purge 4 is set in, mm, yeah. that from the very first Purge, the new founding fathers are sending in mercenary death squads to murder people in housing projects in Staten Island. And they're not, again, with like with all these movies, they're not subtle about what they're trying to communicate about, like, the origins of the Purge. You have murderers literally in Ku Klux Klan well, hoods. Yeah. Well, you, not only that, you also have, I, I forget the actor who, who played him, but, like, you have NFA, NFFA douchebag guy, like, openly stating, again, talking about Clunky Dog, he just says almost like in an ad, like a political ad, you know, the crime rates are so high 
the deficit, the, the, the debt is like a trillion dollars. He literally states it as like bullet points <laughs> to Marissa Tomei in a very dramatic moment where she's found out, oh, yeah, wait, you've hired mercenaries from all over the world to basically, you know, wipe out like these poor people in, you know, this, this housing project and, you know, around this area in Staten Island. And he lays out like statistics and, and yet, you know, at the core, that's a, that is a kind of juicy satirical idea that if the government, you know, the most extremist conservative, uh, governments had their way, you know, and that's, you know, they would wipe out the poor and that's happened in other countries all over the world, sometimes propped up by the U S yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, um, not to get too conspiratorial, but I mean, you know, what's the CIA done all over the world over the years? Well, yeah, I was gonna say, like, just ask Fred Hampton what happens when American uh, law yeah. enforcement thinks you're stepping out of your place. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but absolutely, yeah, the end of the end, like. The end of Judas and the Black Messiah is like the end is like a scene out of the Purge movies. So yeah, I feel like as dumb as these movies are, there's there is something real that they're tapping into. They're tapping into real feelings. The problem is the movies aren't like smart enough to actually deal with this in like a nuanced, sophisticated way. But yeah. there's something. I think the reason why these movies have all been so successful and why this has been such a long-running franchise at this point, with a fifth movie coming out this summer, is for all their stupidity, there is something at the very core of the concept. There's, there's some truth. I mean, there there, there's, there's some truth to, you know, the systemic racial oppression and you know, frankly, murder of like an entire people. It's just that here you're wrapping it around the concept of, oh, well, well, you could do it like, you know, it's all in one night. So, you know, it's about letting it all the feel, you know, let it out now. You know, it's all good for society to do it like this when as you know, in the in the in the framing of these movies in particular with uh Purge Four, no, it's just an excuse to try to like lesson like this group of people that you know white society doesn't like and so in a way you know because then you have the framework where you know black people are going to fight back and there's a there's a catharsis there there's yes. a good catharsis to watching Elon Noll with that like giant gun taking out people like in uh in in the last 20 minutes of this movie as ridiculous, at, and you could still poke holes in that as that is. Yeah, I think this movie has a very gratifying um, kind of final action showdown yeah, scene. Yeah, like in terms of meat and potatoes, so to speak, as far as genre, this movie does it pretty well. It's just that it can't overcome certain stupid things. Like there were times when we were watching this movie, like with the other ones, where we're just like, hey, wait a minute. Why did that character do that? You know, why, why, wait, wait, how'd they go? How'd that happen? And even, and there are certain things too, like that you can't escape, like certain things that are so broad, even in the world of the purge, because again, this is supposed to be per, this is supposed to be 
when we're still kind of in our in the society we recognize today. Yeah. And like this guy Elon Null, he's like a drug kingpin. Yeah. On uh, in his he has he's created like a little empire for himself. Um and you go into like sort of his office area and he has a gigantic dollar bill all across like spread across like the his wall. He's taken over the community center. He's taken over the rec center. And <laughs> they don't need to save the rec center because it's already been saved by drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my thought watching that scene was just, you know, like this isn't like, you know, you can't just, there are still cops who could come in anytime and bust your ass and you're basically advertising it even worse than like Scarface. Yeah. So I would say in the first purge or purge four, the main antagonists are the white supremacist mercenaries and clansmen that have been bust in by the new founding fathers to kind of um, ethnically cleanse the yeah. housing project of Staten Island. So they're the main antagonist. There is a secondary antagonist named Skeletor. Uh, oh, I, I should have gotten to this guy. Yeah, like the movie opens introducing again that how this, uh, uh, this organization is kind of recruiting some of these uh, citizens like, are we allowed to believe, by the way, is Skeletor already there on Staten Island, or is he being brought there? I Was that, like, ever I made assumed, clear in the movie? I assume that Skeletor was a long-standing member of the community. He lived in Staten Island, and because the way it looked hmm. to me, the other drug dealers, to me, interacted with him like they knew him. Okay, yeah, so I think, yeah, they do mention... You're right. They do mention that Skeletor, like, oh, that guy Skeletor, he's doing stuff again. Maybe for a long time he was just kind of like the crazy guy they had to put up with. Yeah. But now he's been given license to be the super evil guy. Yeah, and he's probably one of the most fascinating characters in all of these movies. Because yeah. he's, he is like, he's like Gonzo exploitation personified. He's just, this actor um, do we have a name for him? Yeah, he's way down on the list because he hasn't been in a lot of movies. His, His name, name is Rotimi Paul. Rotimi Paul, and I hope to God he gets more roles because he is just staggeringly good in this movie. He is just ferociously terrifying. Like he, you know, he gets the kind of typical Blumhouse like jump scare, like dang. But he kind of earns it because when he appears on screen, he just looks so crazy and he out crazies everybody else in this movie. I mean, he is basically, you know, he, he he's like a Batman villain on steroids. Yeah. And like with his design, he has all these like scars all across his like head and he like, he, I don't know how else to describe him, but he he's just... He certainly makes an impression, and he's the kind of person who, like, I almost wish there were even more people like that in this movie. I get why they're not, but I feel like that would have upped the stakes even more. You could build an entire slasher franchise around Skeletor because he's menacing, but he's also funny. He's really theatrical. Yeah, he comes out of nowhere, and he's... 
he's genuinely dangerous. Um, you know, like with you know, you just give him a knife and he will fuck people up. And yeah, yeah he he's a delight in this movie. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned him. Um, I mean, this has some secondary characters that aren't quite memorable. Um, we recognize an actress from Oz. And, and Dexter. And thank you. And Dexter. So that was kind of nice. She's she's always a pleasure. She looked like she was actually taking this role as seriously, I guess, as someone can. Like, she was trying to act in a couple of scenes, and that was nice. Yeah. Um, in a way, I think she was doing better than Marissa Tomei. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel bad I don't remember her name, but she she's excellent. Um, and it, uh, now, one, there are some... I hate I'm not I don't want to sound like cinema sins here or some crap like that. I do have nitpicks that bring it down. Of course. Yeah, there are problems. I mean, just aesthetically, this movie has a lot more fake blood. Yeah, the CGI blood is a real bummer. I agree with you. Yeah. There's a lot of, you can and you can tell and especially because we just watched these movies back to back, you can tell the other movies uh tried to have a little bit more real attention to real blood. Um, there's also a whole thing in the last, in the climax where you have these, this death squad of, uh, mercenaries and clansmen or whatever. And I get almost, I almost get like why they would have like clan hoods very, you know, very much hitting the nail on the head, but I get that. But there are other guys who are wearing masks and I just don't get why they would need feel the need to if you're are if they're already in the assumption hey we're gonna just kill everybody and that's what we're being paid to do why would you need to wear a mask except the movie wants it to look cool yeah that's exactly it like I think the third and fourth movies in this franchise which are my favorites I would rank three number one and then four number two. They definitely lean harder into stylizing. Yeah. Well, uh, stylizing is one thing, but I just, I would also think too, if you're that, the, those mercenaries, like, wouldn't it kind of obstruct you from doing all your killing if you're wearing like, mis, you know, gimp face masks? Well, yeah, that's the other thing too. The face masks are not designed um, <laughs> for ease of use well there's well there's also like the main guy who i thought was let's just he almost seemed like he was designed to be like a a future mcfarlane toy character (laughs) (laughs) which is fine but it's but it's also but you're still trying to set this in some type of reality that is well, within the reality of the movie itself, I mean, even to that extent. Like, I get the people wearing masks when they're committing their crimes in the streets. It's just this group of people. It seemed a little bit off. Um, but again, that's offset by the violence being very well choreographed and really gnarly. Um, you know, you get some satisfying bits. Um you know, uh, a couple of really nice soundtrack choices. Yeah. There's this part where these two, like, I don't, I don't know if you almost call them like bag ladies. Yeah. Or like pushing their carts through like the street and they're playing this song and oh, for the life of me, I wish I remembered the the name of it. But if you hear it, you'll know as, as soon as you do, it's a, cl- it's like a classic seventies funk song and it's, it's so, so good. Yeah. It's so good. Um, 
Now, I should mention there is one joke, and I guess we're well into spoilers by this point. Anybody listening by this point, if you haven't seen this movie, you know, I mean, go check it out. It's fun. Uh, it's very dumb, fun pulp. I, I'm still a little torn about how I feel that they have like a, a pussy grabber reference. Yeah. I I feel like in a way it worked a little better for me in 2018 when I saw it in the theater than when I, then maybe now, like, I wonder if it's going to age a little bit. Um, and again, it makes sense in context cause it's supposed to be 2017. Although that makes you wonder though, in context of the world. So pussy grabber is clearly meant to be a, a Trump joke. Trump is not president, but no, he's not president. You have, yeah, you have a different guy. So, I mean, does Trump exist in this world? Do they just have that there as like a, a like kind of easy, like, you know, exploitive gag? Well, that gets to the point you made about the purge election year where there's still a few things that they hedge a bit on their satire. So they make a direct reference to Trump, but they also explicitly tell us Trump is not the president in this universe because they say the president's name at one point. They, they say, well, not only do they say his name, they show him. Yeah. He, like he gives an address to the country right before the purge commences. And yeah, so that's like, that's the type of joke that I feel like, yeah, that'll get like an easy laugh, but years years from now i mean i'm, I'm sure i mean I'll, i know i'll remember it i wonder if some younger people if the access hollywood tape will fade into some obscurity which is kind of sad but yeah you make a good point that if trump is not president in this universe mm -hmm. where does that comment come from it's something that yeah it's an easy laugh for the audience but it doesn't make sense within the universe yeah and i know that sounds like i'm digging into like little things but but the little things you know they make up the movie and you know and and it's it, it's also you're trying to make some kind of satire about this this world that we're in and you know and it, it, it very also i think the 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 trailers and the commercials were really Hyping that up. I think actually the election year poster was like a reference to the MAGA hat. Yeah. Um, and so, so all that's there, but what I, I wonder if maybe because Blumhouse wants these, even though these movies are probably very popular with like urban and black audiences, if maybe they also still want like people in like, you know, redneck white audiences I, I wonder what they think of these movies yeah it's a good point i would i would be interested in reading um like the red state america's take on the purge or like if somebody will one day do like how Lindsay ellis did with the transformers movies if someone will do like a scholarly you know researched like video series on the purges or something <laughs> um but again i know we're getting to the weeds we've been talking about this for a while um but again i would still recommend it just as like in in a not quite in the same way as john wick 3 because i think has a lot more ambitious choreography and world building but this has this does have some things to say about our society a lot of them are very blunt a lot of it hits you over the head characters just come out and say it but 
sometimes we you kind of need that in your movies. Yeah. So I think for me, as ham-fisted and like half-assed as a lot of the commentary in these movies is, it's satisfying to me. And I like the fact that they're saying it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that they're saying it in a movie that will reach like a lot of people. Yeah, I like that... It's not a documentary. Yeah, I like that you have, like, criticisms of systemic racism in, like, popcorn films. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, the, the, we don't really necessarily always get that. Like, it's either, you know, it, usually it's in something that's a little bit more of a prestige thing. Like, you know, you're you're based on a true story kind of movies like, like a black Klansman or, or Judas and the black Messiah. And you know, those movies are great, but they're looked at in a certain way. That's different from something like, uh, the first purge or purge election year where, you know, even though those are very, again, very stupid movies in a lot of just basic story and character ways, but, but there is, but you could see that the potential viscerally is realized a lot of the time. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. For as silly as these movies are, like, you knowing your bones, they're playing with, like, true things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're playing with true things. My only, again, my only wish, going back to what I said earlier, I just, this, this concept isn't, this should be pulled out from the jaws of like the Blumhouse ghetto where it's like, <laughs> Oh, here's $5 million. Go make your movie. Like I would love if this got like, you know, if this is like a $40 million movie, if this had like the budget of like a final destination movie, oh, I wish I know uh, we should conclude by saying neither of us has seen the purge TV show at all. No, no. We, I, I was curious to see maybe one episode of that before I recorded. I just didn't have the time. Um, by chance, if anyone has seen that, please let us know. I know it wasn't that. I, I don't know. Was there a lot of press about that show? I feel like because it was on the USA network, not a lot of people were talking about it. I didn't hear a lot about it, and I listen to multiple podcasts about TV, and I read a lot of entertainment journalism. Um, yeah. I think it's one of those shows that just kind of came <coughs> out. Yeah, and I, and I don't know if necessarily that if it's because maybe it's, you know, due lack of quality or just there's too many TV shows, you know. Um, now, again, as we said earlier, there there is do one more Purge movie this year, and I'm very curious to see it. Me too. Yeah, and maybe after we see it, we'll record another episode about that. So yeah, my ranking of these one last time, for those who are curious, and I think we're both on the same level here. Yeah. So I would say three, four, two, one. Yeah, and for me though... Oh no, three, four, two, one. Yeah, three, four, two, one, but for me, one is significantly worse than like all the other ones. Yeah, one's a pretty bad movie. It, <laughs> there's no way to say it uh, except it's it's it has a few moments and it has that one performance, but it, it it's very underbaked. It's yeah. like getting a uh, a souffle and it it's just like a pan of dough with like a little bit of sheen <laughs> on top of it. Um, All right, but yeah, so so that those are the purges. 
We and, watched him. And as the character says, the purge has to come to an end, as does this podcast. All right. So, so thank you so much, guys. If you have any thoughts about the purge movies, you can uh, email us wages of cinema at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Hit us up with any purge fact things or whatever. Um, you know, and uh, maybe we'll include it in an episode coming up. Um, and hopefully soon we'll come with another series of some kind. I don't know what yet. All right. So you want to wrap it up? Wrap it up, B. It's time for the purge to end. Until next time, everybody. I'm Jack. I'm Trash Panda Corey. And, and the wages of cinema is hugs. Blue cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, blue cheese. And good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>